Hi, I'm Hillary Acer, welcoming you to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier. We're going to shine light today on a healthcare profession that studies consistently show is a lower cost choice for providing high quality patient care in a wide and growing list of fields from orthopedics to oncology. I'm talking about physical therapy, and as its impact on healthcare has changed over the years, so has the profession's educational requirements. We're going to take a look at the evolution of physical therapy practice and education today with Dr. James Gordon, Associate Dean and Chair of the Division of Biokinesiology and Physical Therapy at University of Southern California, one of the top PT departments in the U.S. He is widely recognized as a leading figure in the field, having spent many decades in clinical practice, research, and teaching, including at Columbia University and New York Medical College before coming to USC in 2000. Dr. Gordon's current research focuses on neural rehabilitation and motor control, and he is considered one of the foremost thinkers in motor learning and its application to people with neurological conditions. Thanks so much for being with us today, Dr. Gordon. Yeah, thank you, Hillary. I'm thrilled to be here and to join what is really an amazing list of people that you've had as guests on this podcast. So I'm really honored to be asked to be interviewed on this. And and excited about the possibility of talking about physical therapy and the evolution of the profession. So yeah, thanks. Well, we're happy to have you here, Dr. Gordon. I think you're actually one of the first physical therapists that we've had a chance to talk to. So we're excited to shine more light on this field. And and also we have a number of learners in the physical therapy space, as well as practitioners. So we're looking forward to hearing your unique perspective. Great. All right. I'd like to start with learning more about you and what first got you interested in healthcare and particularly physical therapy. Uh, Yeah, that could be a very long answer. Let me try to do that as a short answer. I took a a somewhat circuitous route into physical therapy. I actually dropped out of college in my sophomore year. This was in the 1960s. And I did what what I now consider a a form of national service, which is that I was very active in the anti-war and social justice movements of the 1960s. But by the early 1970s, I, I was actually then looking for something that would be more sustainable. And I started looking at healthcare. My my parents were both in healthcare. My father was a physician and my mother was a nurse. So I, I gravitated to that. I think what attracted me to physical therapy was two things, really. First, the emphasis on science, that it was a profession that was grounded in science, the basic sciences, anatomy, physiology, neuroscience, biomechanics, but also that it it was fundamentally about establishing a one-to-one relationship with patients. And those two things, that's a very powerful combination, actually, when you think about it, to be very engaged on a one-to-one with patients, but also to be able to deliver real science in that interaction. And I mean, I don't think I understood that at the time. I was much more intuitive, but I think looking back, that's what attracted me. So I ended up going to SUNY Downstate in the State University of New York, Downstate Medical Center in Brooklyn, where I grew up, and I graduated with a bachelor's degree in 1974. Wow, you've come a long way since then. A couple of of notes, actually. So my dad grew up in Brooklyn, too, near Prospect Park, so I've gone back to visit there quite a bit. But also, I've spent a number of visits in physical therapy offices, and that's actually something that drew me to that field after college. I was very interested in physical therapy, didn't end up pursuing it. But what I loved was that 
physical therapist did stay with you throughout the entire duration of your your treatment. You know, you're in a point maybe post-operation or post-injury and you're pretty vulnerable and, you know, you're going through significant changes sometimes with your identity. You know, if you're an athlete and you can't perform your athletic activities or if you've had a, you know, more severe medical condition or something like that, you're, you're really looking for not just the the treatment and the medicine that physical therapy provides, but you're also looking for that relationship with a provider who can help you, you know, get through what could be a really tough time. So I love that you pointed that out, the one-on-one time with patients and the, the close connection that you get to draw with them. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, I think that's what continues to attract great people to the profession. And there's a a study that was done about 15 years ago at the University of Chicago on what they called job satisfaction. And so they did surveys and they came out with this ranking of the professions that had the highest job satisfaction. And physical therapy was number two. You should ask yourself then, well, what was number one? And number one was clergy. And actually, physical therapy was tied for number two with firefighter. So, you know, I think that tells you something about physical therapy as a profession that, you know, we get to come home every day and know that we've made a difference in people's lives and the difference in a very personal way where we've accompanied people on those journeys that they take through these challenging times. So, yeah. I still feel that's what makes physical therapy the best profession there is, to be honest, but also biased. <laughs> it's I think it's really interesting you point that out. And one of the trends that we hear often across healthcare is this moral injury and you know increasing rates of burnout. And some of the, the things that I've been recently reading are is tied to, you know, the relationships that you can build with your patients and the meaning that you can get from your your day-to-day work. And it sounds like that that could potentially be playing a role here as well in, in keeping physical therapists really connected to their mission and their purpose. Absolutely. Excellent point. Yeah. So you've been in this field for 50 years, almost 50 years, I should say. What are some of the most significant changes that you've seen in the profession over that period of time? Yeah, I'm proud to say that, you know, next year, actually, in six months, actually, I will celebrate my 50th anniversary as a physical therapist, which is kind of amazing. You think that's a long time, but, you know, looking at it from my perspective, it's actually kind of, you know, a blink of an eye in many respects. But yeah, the profession has, it's so completely different. And there's just so many different ways. The settings in which we practice have changed enormously. When I graduated, most physical therapists practiced in hospitals and rehab centers, and only a minority, you know, were in outpatient and very, very small number had private practices. Now that's completely flipped. And most physical therapists practice in outpatient, and most of those people are in independent private practices. So what that means is that that physical therapists now practice in the community. And that's a big change that has really changed who we are and what we do. Of course, our education has changed. We've gone from a bachelor's degree, which I got, then to a master's degree. And now all physical therapy programs, all graduates have a doctor of physical therapy degree. We're doctors of physical therapy now. So that's 
been a huge change. We now have specialties. Physical therapists can be board certified in 10 different specialties. We have residency programs. We have fellowship programs. The research aspect of physical therapy, when I graduated, I think I could count the number of physical therapists with PhDs on one or two hands. Now there are hundreds, really probably thousands of physical therapists. The major physical therapy programs have flourishing research enterprises. So physical therapy now has its own science, which it didn't have 50 years ago. So I I think really, you know, those are the obvious changes. But I think the most important changes are what we do and what we're able to do. And the best example of that is the development of orthopedic physical therapy. You know, when I graduated, physical therapists really did not treat what I would call non-surgical musculoskeletal disorders. We were primarily in hospitals treating patients post-surgically. But An interesting thing happened around that time, which is that orthopedic surgeons really moved big time into surgery and sort of gave up being interested in the treatment of non-surgical disorders. And so physical therapists began to move into that area of practice and began to develop approaches for treating patients with what we think of as the aches and pains of daily life or the injuries that we suffer when we, you know, overstretch on the tennis court or we spend a weekend painting our daughter's bedroom or something like that. Now we have a sore shoulder or a, or a pulled hamstring. Orthopedic surgeons no longer were interested in that. And physical therapists really moved into that and and really developed ways of treating patients so that now physical therapists are, are practitioners of choice for those kinds of disorders. That has really happened because physical therapists saw an opportunity and moved into that and developed treatment procedures for that that were effective. So a lot's happened in 50 years. It sure sounds like it. Wow. I, I actually didn't know the the change there. And many of those changes, I, I'm aware of some of the you know, educational shifts from bachelor's to doctor programs, but really interesting to point out the change in orthopedic PT. So thanks for enlightening me on that. On a broader note, you know, how has the evolution of the profession positioned physical therapy for the current state of the U.S. healthcare system? That's a good question. I think the first important thing there is use of the word evolution. I think that evolution is a good word, not just because the change in the profession has been gradual, but also because it, in many respects, is similar to biological evolution. So, you know, we have this massive, complex healthcare system But really, when you look at that healthcare system, it's really made up of many smaller ecosystems that exist in, you know, just hundreds of different ways in the community and institutions and schools and with many different people participating in, in healthcare. And so within these ecosystems, people adapt and create new ways of solving healthcare. And that's just keeps going on and on. That's a continuous process. And I think 
we kind of have this illusion that here we are in 2023 and we've reached some sort of mature state that this, this is kind of the end of history illusion, which is, okay, now history has brought us to this point in time and the profession, say physical therapy is now in its mature state. It's really kind of reached maturity. That's of course absurd and silly. From the perspective of 50 years, I can tell you that's not the case. Physical therapy is still evolving. We are still, you know, engaged in this complicated evolutionary process. What's critical now is that we have established ourselves right now as essential actors in the healthcare system. And, you know, we have the education, the research. Most important, I think, we have credibility among other healthcare professionals and in consumers and patients. So I think we are in a good position to adapt to the changes that are happening and really being able to solve problems moving forward. So I think we're in a good position. All of that makes sense. And I'm curious, you know, as we look forward, are there any trends that you see maybe around the corner or or changes in the healthcare system that could adjust how physical therapy is seen in healthcare? You know, one obvious change that's happening is that we're moving more and more to focusing on prevention and primary care. And I think that physical therapists are very, very ready to be involved. We're already involved in both of those areas. And so I think that that those are areas that we definitely can be more involved with. We could come back to that if you'd like. Maybe a, a follow-up more related to your research, actually. I know you've done quite a bit of research on the neurological conditions and neurorehabilitation and things like that. I'd love to know yeah, if there's any recent advances in that space that you're particularly excited about or even areas of your research that you're digging into more. You know, we've come a long way in neurorehabilitation, and I think that we are trying to find the balance, let me put it this way, between technology. So there's a lot of technology that is very promising in neurorehabilitation, a whole range of different technologies from robotic approaches and other kinds of approaches. But there's also the focus on how people learn new ways of moving. And so what we're trying to do, and I think what's exciting is to, is to not look at technologies as a solution in and of themselves, but to try to marry or unify an, an approach that focuses on technology and on a kind of a patient-centered approach, which says, how do people use these technologies and how are they able to use these technologies to make their lives better? In the past, we've looked at some of these new technologies. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, whether they're robotic approaches or electrical stimulation approaches or, you know, brain stimulators or brain computer interfaces. We've seen these as kind of uh, solutions in and of themselves. And I think the next stage is to bring them together with the people who are actually working with patients. So I think it's an exciting time in neurorehabilitation. 
Definitely sounds like it. And, and that's really fascinating. I will be following that field a little bit more closely to see what's around the corner in terms of that integration between technology and, and more patient-centered and behavioral approaches. Let's shift gears just a little bit and talk about USC's physical therapy program. Can you give us an overview of the program and maybe some of its particular strengths? So our vision at USC in, in physical therapy is what I'd like to think of as the power of the three-legged stool, which is that we think that what makes us strong is to have strength, not just in our educational program and not just in our research program or our clinical, but to all three. We have a very strong educational program. We have top-notch researchers who are, you know, pushing the envelope, and we have a large clinical practice, which allows us to engage in clinical practice. And so, you know, the most challenging aspect of physical therapy education is that we are educating our graduates to practice in the future. And, you know, none of us have practice in the future. So, so how do we prepare people to practice in the future. We think the answer to that is by being fully engaged in the present. And that is to say, having our own practice, confronting the challenges of practice, trying to push the envelope in our own practice and in our own research labs, and as well in the way in which we educate patients, so that we are part of the process of creating the future, that gives us the best chance of being able to prepare our students for the future. I love that kind of mindfulness approach of putting, you know, your attention and effort on what's in front of you right now. And, and of course, you know, that will have big influence on, on what comes around the corner. So it sounds like you're kind of building a muscle in your your students to think critically and to really be a part of that change, which is great. Well put. Yeah, thank you. Can you talk a little bit about some of the biggest changes and how PTs are educated? We talked about, you know, some of the programmatic changes and bachelor's versus doctorate degree programs. Are there other things that have shifted in the PT education space that you'd like to tell our learners about? Yeah, I, I think there's been a big change in the last decade or so maybe a, a bit longer, in how we educate students. And I, I think there's been a recognition that we can't just put the students in front of the fire hose and just, you know, let them drink. That we have to be mindful about how we educate our students and be very intentional about the approaches we use. So the education has really been a focus. We are more student-centered in our approaches. We've moved away from lecture-based approaches, you know, more approaches that flip the classroom and do things like that, small group learning, also recognizing that students learn at different paces and using different methodologies, greatly increased focus on equity, diversity, inclusion, trying to bring in more diverse classes, having more inclusive approaches to, to education, more and better use of technologies. One thing we've done at, at USC is to develop a hybrid pathway. So we now have our traditional residential pathway who, who are here five days a week, really seven days a week, but five days a week in classes. 
But we also now have a hybrid pathway, and they do much of their learning online, and we have a, a whole online curriculum. But in addition, then they come for what we call immersion. So they come usually for about a week to 10 days at a time, twice a semester to learn the skills that they need. And that, that really has improved our ability to provide the education to people who otherwise could not come and be residential students. So that's another change. And, and we're seeing that as a growing pathway or mechanism in physical therapy education. That's great to hear. It sounds like you and your faculty are working really hard to meet students where they are and to kind of deliver these educational opportunities in more creative ways. I'm familiar with a couple of other programs, one more recently, the Yale Physician Associate Program that does a, a blended program like this. So I think this probably is something we can see more of in the future is a, a hybrid model of learning. You mentioned you know, you're already doing that even within your residential program where you're flipping the classroom and you're doing more problem-based learning or case-based learning personalized learning. So that's great. That's, of course, where osmosis uh, was started was, you know, medical students realizing that there were a lot of better ways to learn. And there were a lot of, you know, evidence-based techniques that weren't necessarily able to be integrated into things like traditional lectures that now we can do better with technology. So it's great to see this evolution, to go back to that word and continue. As far as, you know, osmosis goes, we focus on teaching and educating and we love to fill in knowledge gaps. Is there a particular topic you think that Osmosis should make a video or course about that's something of interest to you? I'm not sure this will be of any interest to Osmosis, but here's what we need, okay? First and foremost, I think one of the big gaps in health professional education is what's called IPE. That's interprofessional education. This is a real issue in and how do we how do we educate our students about what other health professions do and so even here at USC where we have a medical school and you know an occupational therapy and we have pharmacy and we have you know others it's challenging to get people together because every our curricula are all very complicated so i think IPE is something that a company like yours might start to think about, you know, how to provide the kind of education about how different professions, for example, address a similar problem. And another area that I think would be of interest to us would be primary care. Here's my take on primary care. Physicians don't want to do primary care. We need to realize that. You know, we can do everything we can, you know, say, oh, we need to, you know, create incentive. No, they don't want to do because medical school is educating them for these very exciting specialty areas. They're not interested. Primary care is something that physical therapists, nurse practitioners, you know, physician assistants, pharmacists, drug counselors, Dentists, all of these people do primary care in different ways, but maybe there are common elements to primary care that could be of interest to people in all of those fields. And that, that would make a real, I think, contribution, because I think we need to figure out how to do the primary care thing that you asked me before. What, you know, what do we need? We need to kind of solve the primary care problem. That's the big problem in healthcare. Big problem in healthcare is not you know, how to do hip replacements or a heart transplant. The big problem is how to, how to help people 
you know, solve the health problems in their daily lives. And primary care is what we need. I think it's a great point. And, you know, I, I love that you pointed out the interprofessional education aspect. I actually started a, a program at Osmosis with our team called the Osmosis Health Leadership Initiative, which originally started with medical students. And as we started to build out a nursing platform with educational videos specific to nurses, we brought in nurses. And so we had medical nursing students. And then over time, we actually started to see dental students and pharmacy students using our educational materials and physical therapists and veterinary students. And so this program has slowly expanded. And at first we had our medical education fellowship and our nursing student fellowship all siloed. And we actually realized that we could bring them together and help our students start learning from one another. And it's been so enlightening actually, because something we figured out is this is how they're of course interacting in practice. You know, they're working across these diverse care teams and they need to have an understanding of what each specialty does and they can actually learn quite a bit from the other specialties. So it's been a really awesome journey for us over the last, it's a year and a half to really start to bring these health professional students together and not just across health professions, but even now internationally and see what best practices we can gather. And, and again, how can you teach these students early on to really leverage the the skill sets of these other professions. So I think there's a lot more we can do in that space and, and definitely something I'm passionate about. So you're way ahead of me. That's what you're saying. <laughs> well, we only we only have about 200 students in the program. We are recruiting for more. And in fact, if, if students are interested, they can, of course, go to our careers page and, and apply to be part of the program. But we are always looking for, for student leaders who can help to make this change on their campus. And that's one of the hopes is that while we only have 200 students in the program, that they actually go back to you know, their universities and their campuses, and they can help to kind of spread these ideas and, and help their colleagues work more collaboratively. So that's one thing. The other early dream that I'll just mention, if you'll stay with me for a bit, when I joined Osmosis, I really was pre-med actually, but I had worked in a physical therapy office. I started teaching yoga, was very interested in nutrition. And I had this, you know, kind of hope that someday there would be a platform maybe that a doctor could actually learn more about physical therapy and they could go, you know, watch videos or do assessments and they could take on maybe a physical therapy sub-certification or something like that. So I had this dream that, you know, wherever specialty you were in, you could potentially just learn more about other other specialties and other professions and and integrate that more seamlessly. Of course, there are rules and guidelines we need to follow, but you know, who knows? Maybe that's another promise of osmosis down the road. I'm all for it, by the way. I mean, I think the more we learn from each other, you know, we, by the way, our faculty teach in the medical school and they teach the the musculoskeletal diagnosis section of their diagnosis course. So they can learn from us and we can learn from them. I mean, I'm all for that. I think that's a great vision. Yeah, I love that. Well, we have a lot of students and early health career professionals in our audience. Is there any advice that you'd like to share with them about meeting the challenges of healthcare today? You know, Hillary, that's probably the most challenging uh, question that you've given me so far. And the first thing I would say is that I'm, I am in awe of young people today. I think they're so capable. They are dealing with challenges that are just hard to imagine. And yet there are so many of them that are really doing great things. My advice is to a student coming into the health professions is to think of yourself as a leader. All of the changes that I described in physical therapy that I've seen over 50 years those changes didn't just happen. This isn't just a 
an automatic process. Those changes happened because individuals, you know, saw the need for change. They saw opportunities. They took those opportunities. They grabbed the brass ring and and they they were leaders, even though maybe they didn't even think of themselves that way. And so where we are today is the result of leadership that was demonstrated by individuals, real people. And those people had vision. And most of all, they had the drive to help people. Well, I think to our audience, if you're looking for a sign or if you need a little bit of motivation to you know, take initiative or lead that project or make change, here it is. And I think, Dr. Gordon, that's a great way to close out and very inspirational for our audience just to get that reassurance, you know, that even one person can make a difference. And, you know, we're obviously here to support you if we can. The team at Osmosis is is always excited to help disrupt and, and make positive change. So really appreciate that. And Dr. Gordon, thanks so much for being with us today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. It was a pleasure highlighting physical therapy. I hope we can continue the conversation and continue to learn more about this field that has become so central to our healthcare system. Yeah, thank you, Hillary. This has been fun and interesting and stimulating for me. I'm excited to hear more programming about this topic. So I look forward to that. We'll, we'll definitely keep you in the loop. So thanks again for being with us today. I'm Hillary Acer. Remember to do your part to raise the line and strengthen our healthcare system. We're all in this together. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.